0: Well, good morning to you, Sycamore Hill Church. It's good to be here, even though I'm not here. I'm in Israel. Well, actually, I'm not in Israel. I'm in the sanctuary, believe it or not, in the Hokeson. Actually, right now I'm in Israel, but I'm in the sanctuary. You know what I mean. If you're confused, I'm confused. Anyway, good morning. That's what I want to say is good morning, and it's good to be with you. And I want to share with you a little bit about why I look the way I do. Because to everybody, I look a little bit different right now. Whether you're in Hokessen, you don't normally see me in videos, so I may look way different because I'm not there. And in Wilmington, I look way overproduced because we don't normally have talent like this uh, rendering us. So why why is today like today? Well, there's a few reasons. One. My trip to Israel uh, for my graduate degree uh, is going to keep me away from church two Sundays, and I I hate being gone for two Sundays, so it was my heart to preach. And the second reason for y'all is uh, we have a sister campus that is regularly studying the Word of God uh, through video. So Wilmington, about half the time now, is getting their messages through video. And it wasn't the disparity was enough that we said, you know, it's it's probably good that we place the whole church under this medium uh, so that we can uh, continue in unity and have a sense of what the whole church is experiencing. So, uh that's what you're getting today, is uh, please seek to learn and, and experience uh, the way our brothers and sisters in Wilmington often do. And then as far as the produced atmosphere of it all, we have a lot of things going on behind the curtain, a lot of inside baseball that we just are celebrating the chance to get to do this and learn some things on our side. We've been asking questions about video for a long time, and this is helping us. So let's get to the Word then. So if you'll grab your Bibles, a good place to start today would be Psalm 95. That's where we'll uh, start our learning. And while you're turning to Psalm 95, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about titles, roles and titles. Why do we use titles the way we do? We hear them all the time, whether it's an associate vice president or a team captain. Uh, we use them uh, regularly in the way we talk. And titles have uh, a couple of important roles. The first thing they do is they give us a sense of place. Like, how do I fit in my environment? Or, how do I think of this person? How does this person fit into the context of what we're talking about? Most of the time, they're fairly normal. Sometimes they can be a little elaborate or silly. I'm going to give you a, one that's a little over the top. This is the title that comes from... A, A self-given title, I should say, that a dictator in Africa, uh, the dictator of Uganda, his name was Idi Amin. This is what he chose to call himself. His Excellency, President for Life, Field Marshal Al-Haji Dr. Idi Amin Dada, Victorious Cross, Distinguished Service Order, Military Cross. Lord of all the beasts of the earth and fishes of the seas and conqueror of the British Empire in Africa in general and Uganda in particular. That's his title. Which I will add, in addition to that, he officially claimed to have been the uncrowned King of Scotland. So you could put that at the end. Idi Amin was also the uncrowned King of Scotland. So sometimes our titles are normal. Sometimes they're over the top. But we also use them to give us uh, a specific role. Like, what does this person do? I'll give you an example. You can imagine in a boardroom, uh, it, it doesn't even matter what kind of business you're talking to, an IT, there's an IT meeting in a boardroom of some company. And you can imagine the team leader might sit, lean over or point to uh, somebody and say, Joanne is gonna quarterback this for us. And everybody would know what she means. In fact, he could say, Joanne's gonna quarterback and Fred, I just want you to block. Just, you know, run interference for her. If anything comes up, you just block for her so she can get this done. Everybody would know. I mean, that title was conferred, but everybody knows. We're not talking about football. We know the meaning behind the title. You see this a lot with last names. In the English language, at least, the one I'm familiar with, you could meet somebody whose last name is Smith or Miller or Cooper. And those are actually, from the old country, titles. That was John the Smith or something like that. These titles assign a role. And when we sort of turn our attention to the Word and to God, we, we find that He uses titles in the very same way. God assigns Himself titles so that we can understand them better. Let me, let me read from Psalm 95, and you'll see here. I just want you to hear all the different titles that He gives Himself. Here's what Psalm 95 says. O come, let us sing to the Lord. And that Lord there is Yahweh. Okay, so that's What's actually being said there is the particular name for God. So come, let us sing to Yahweh. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. There's a title. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God. There's a title. And a great king above all gods. There it is again. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. There's a title. For he's our God, we are the sheep of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. A lot of titles. He's Yahweh, he's rock, he's our Lord, he's our God, he's our king, he's our maker, he's our shepherd. All of those are given to us, all of All of them are talking about exactly this, precisely the same God. It's just no one title is sufficient. You might say, why not just one? Why don't we just use the word God? I mean, after all, if there's just one God, why don't we just say God? The truth is, God as creator is outside and above our experience. He's outside and above the created order. So your reason and intellect and my reason and intellect are not able to just rationally figure God out. If we had a a, a crowd of people and we said to them, hey, tell me who God is, just describe God, there might be some general consensus starting off because at the end of the day, we're all made in the image of God. I mean, things would start off sounding similar, but give a group of people any length of time and their view of God is gonna start to fray off in some radically different directions because God knows that our reason and intellect... Are not, are not sufficient by themselves to build our picture of God. We need him to willingly reveal himself to us. And that's, that's what he does in his word. A good example of this is in Exodus when God takes the Israelites out of Egypt and he brings them to the mountain of God where he's going to give them the Ten Commandments. And he's just now becoming a personal God with Israel. And while Moses is up for 40 days to get the Ten Commandments, The people pursue their own image of God. They make a golden calf. They start to worship it in their own unique way. I mean, you give them 40 days, and they have already, through their reason and intellect, perverted God's image. We need the Lord to sort of show us. And no one word can say all that God's trying to say about himself. The truth is probably all of the words that we could think of would be insufficient to describe God, but certainly no one word is. And so he gives himself titles. And today, as we, we study who Jesus is, what I want to do is I want to grab two titles that God uses for himself, and I want us to see how Christ takes those titles over for himself. Then begin to think about what the implications of that are. So the two titles that we're going to look at is God is King and God is Shepherd. When we think about God as King, and we've touched on this in past scriptures, uh, all over the Old Testament, God shows himself as King. So, We could sit here and I could, literally, I could show you hundreds of examples where God describes himself as king and as shepherd. But I'll just mention a few here, and, and one that you might be familiar with is in Isaiah 66. The Lord says of himself, I, the Lord, am enthroned upon the heavens, and the earth is my footstool. Now, in that image, you see a couple of ideas. One is God is creator. God is showing I'm above and outside of creation. But the second thing you see is, He's enthroned, that he's king. God is king over all creation. And the, and the Bible paints a picture of God being king of creation. Another idea, another way that the king shows up in Scripture is the way that God is the king of the Israelites. The Israelites, when the Lord led them out of Egypt, he led them through Moses. And then when Moses passed away, he used Joshua. And when Joshua passed away, they were established in the land, they were living in the land of promise. And they ended up having no leader. They just lived on their own. And things did not go well for very long. They they went south in a hurry. And what would happen is they walked away from God. And then God would allow oppression to come upon them. Then they would reach out to the Lord. And God would send them what the Bible calls a judge. He would give them a judge. And a judge was almost like a a, a biblical warlord or a chieftain. This judge would help help redeem Israel back into the good graces of the Lord... And that judge would come and he'd pass away and they would slide again. And so judge after judge, this sort of cycle of repentance went through Israel until finally with the judge Samuel, he was the last judge, the Israelites looked outside of their borders and they said, you know what, we're tired of having judges. They they assumed their problem was the judges. They said, if we could only have a king, a king like all the other people around us, if we could have a king, then we, we could... We would be successful. A king could go out in front of us. A king could lead us and gather us and unite us. And Samuel turns to the Lord in in dejection. Samuel feels like he's been rejected by the people. And this is what the Lord says to Samuel. Samuel, give them a king. Don't worry, they have not rejected you. They've rejected me as their king. Because God sees himself as king of the Israelites. When they would stray away from his commandments, they were Walking away from their king. God's their king. Here's another image that you see from God as being king. The Israelites had an ark. It was called the Ark of the Covenant of God, and it represented the presence of God when it would travel among the people. And on the top of the ark, there were these two angelic figures. They were called cherubim, and they faced one another. And in the middle of that, there was an open, just a blank space, just a space between the cherubim. But the Israelites didn't. Think of it as emptiness. They actually had a name for that space. They said that space was the mercy seat because there the Lord was enthroned. They speak about the Lord being enthroned there. In fact, this is what it says in Psalm 80 about this very space. It says this, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. The psalmist is talking about that space. So you see that God is king of creation. God's king of Israel. God is enthroned, even in his kind of glory of light, he's enthroned on the ark. And we see that not only is God king, but Christ is king. All of the gospel writers refer to Christ as a king. In Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, the the, the gospel of Matthew begins by giving the lineage of Jesus through the line of David. Why? Because David was a king. And because there was a promise that the king was going to come in the line of David, who would save them. And so they were waiting. They were waiting for a Messiah who would be a king. And Matthew starts by saying, Jesus was born in the line of the kings. In fact, in Matthew chapter 2, the Magi show up, and they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. The gospel of Mark begins in the first chapter by, with Jesus declaring, he says, repent For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not the kingdom of heaven is on its way, not it's near. Jesus came preaching that the kingdom of heaven was now. Why? Because he's there. He's among them. In the Gospel of Luke, the last time that Jesus came into Jerusalem, it was approaching the Passover, and he had already generated a lot of commotion. So There was a thrill and excitement about who he was and people were beginning to talk about him as though he was a king. And so when he's riding in on a donkey, the crowds of Jerusalem are laying down palm branches and laying down their cloaks and they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're glorifying Jesus as a king. And some of the Pharisees say to Jesus, Rabbi, you need to stop this. You need to rebuke your disciples for saying this. And Jesus looks at them and says, if I were to silence them, even the stones would cry out. What's the implication of that? God is king over creation. Jesus is king over creation. Jesus doesn't back away from the idea that they're calling him a king. He actually, he says, you, he's essentially through his word saying, you have no idea what kind of king I really am. In fact, in the Gospel of John, one of the chief accusations that the Pharisees use when they're trying to murder Jesus is that he declares himself to be a king and in doing so is rebellious against Caesar. In fact, when Jesus is brought before Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate's primary concern is Jesus' claims to have been a king. He says, you say you're a king. Are you really a king? It's why when Jesus was crucified, over the cross, it says, king of the Jews. God is a king king. Jesus is a king. Just like God is a shepherd, Jesus is a shepherd. All through the Old Testament we hear Psalm twenty three, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul. God is a shepherd. Psalm eighty, the very psalm that I read earlier, says this You we listened last time for the way that God's enthroned between the cherubim, but listen to how it begins. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. God's a shepherd. Peter writes in first 1 Peter 1 Peter five, he says this He's writing to the elders of the church, and he's trying to describe to them what kind of elders they should be, and he starts the teaching this way Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. It's God's flock, because God's a shepherd. All through the Old Testament, all of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, one of their primary images is God as shepherd, and God upset and angry at the priesthood for not shepherding the people in righteousness, and promising, in fact, I'm going to send a true shepherd to shepherd my people, a good shepherd to shepherd my people in righteousness. So God's a shepherd, and Christ grabs right onto these themes. Christ in John 10 says, I am the good shepherd. Where the Magi come to King Herod and they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Herod turns to the scribes and the Pharisees to look what they say. And they say, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Why do they know that? Because of the prophet Micah. Because the prophet Micah says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least of the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Jesus is a shepherd. Even Peter, in the very same writing where he was saying, "A shepherd the flock of God that is among you, after he describes how an elder should be, he says, and when the great shepherd appears, he will give you a crown of glory. So what started off as God as the shepherd ends as Christ as the great shepherd. We could do this with so many images. God is king, Christ is king. God is shepherd, Christ is shepherd. God is creator, Christ is creator. God as redeemer, Christ is redeemer. God is God, Christ is God. Jesus is God. All of these different labels that the Lord in the Old Testament has taken on, very carefully taken on to describe himself with the revelation of Christ are given to him. We never once find an example where a title that belonged to the Lord is conferred to Jesus and Jesus says, whoa, 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 you got it all wrong. I mean, if Jesus were simply from God, if Jesus was a man who had been sent by God or come from God, like a prophet, if he truly loved the Lord and was serving the Lord, and but it only come from God, and someone had said, he's the king of kings, he's the Lord of lords, he's the great shepherd. If they had said those things, what would a man who was from God but not God say? In fact, what we find is not only does Jesus never, Jesus never tells people, "Ah, you need to tone it down a little bit about me, but Jesus takes titles for himself. He's the one who said, I am the good shepherd, not, not them. He's the one who said, I am the way. He's the one who said before Abraham was, I am. Jesus confers upon himself the very titles that all of the Jews knew only belonged to the Lord. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If the apostles love the Lord, and they know Jesus, don't you think they'd be careful about not confusing us if Jesus was anything other than God? The truth of the matter is, either Jesus is, is the fullness of those titles. Or he's like Idi Amin. I mean, there's some, he's bizarre that he would grab things that are not his own. There's something else I want to show you, though, because this is actually what, this is the unique, this is what's new about Christ. So God, in the Old Testament, says, I'm king, I'm lord, I'm rock, I'm savior, I'm shepherd, I'm your husband. He uses all of these languages, all of these high words the Lord uses to describe himself. And Jesus grabs all of those, all of those words to describe himself. But Jesus does something else. Jesus says, I'm your king. And he also shows himself to be a subject. So Jesus is the chief king and he is the most obedient subject of the kingdom. Jesus is the chief shepherd and he is the the sheep of the pasture, and Jesus Himself is the quintessential sheep. Jesus is on one hand the provider, and he is on the other hand the provision. I mean, Jesus in the in, in within a forty eight hour period can can feed five thousand people with a few bread, a few loaves of bread, and a few fish, and the very next morning describe Himself as the meal. I am the bread of life. He's the provider and the provision. There's a sense where God establishes in the Old Testament the high extreme, all the categoricals, king, shepherd, lord, savior, rock. Christ comes in, he grabs all of those, and then he establishes that he is also the low extreme, servant, subject, sheep, sacrifice, provision, everything. Christ is all, he is the two radical extremes. All of us here We stand in the middle of these two extremes. We know when God says king, we know what he means when he says king. We understand kingship, we understand rule. We have types of kings in our life, we have types of rulers in our life, and we get that. And when Jesus describes himself as an obedient servant of the Lord, we understand that. We understand the type, we understand what he's saying, what he's suggesting. It's just we're sort of standing in the middle of the two perfect examples. We live imperfectly inside of those categories. We understand what God means when he says he's creator. God creates, we create. We, we're made in his image. We understand what it means to be a creator. We also understand what it means to be created, to be made and subject. We understand what God means when he says shepherd. We understand what Christ means when when he acts dependent upon the Lord like a sheep would be. When he follows God like a flock might follow. We understand that. We live in between the categories of Christ and we can identify Though our examples are imperfect examples, we experience life in flawed ways that Christ has demonstrated in perfect ways. Christ is the quintessential king and the quintessential subject. Jesus is the quintessential shepherd and the quintessential follower. He is the elegant extremes of all of creation. This matters. Practically, it matters because for us, we need to know there is nowhere, no experience, no place that you will ever find yourself where you are outside of the experience of God. You can't, you pick your worst day or your loneliest moment, and God has shows up with empathy of I have been there and shows up with lordship that I am Lord over that moment because he's he's both. He's both extremes. You could find yourself feeling meek or wounded or the victim and Jesus could say, I understand what it means to be a victim. I understand what it means to be falsely accused, to be beat, to be made subject, to be have things put on my shoulders that don't belong to me. I understand more than you will ever understand and I am Lord of that. There's a sense that that gnawing sense in us that sometimes if God only knew how we felt about something, if God only knew my life, and the truth of the matter is the Lord is the Lord is saying there is not a place in the entire panorama of human experience where Christ has not been the perfect extreme of that experience. Christ has not felt it or endured it or mastered it or expressed lordship over it. He's the high extreme and he's the low extreme. You're not outside more practically or another way to look at this is inside of the Lord. We live these roles out. You know, my wife and I are creators. We've made children and we are made children. There's ways that I exercise comparative rule over my household. And there's ways that I am subject to the church. We, we, we feel these titles. There's a way I'm a shepherd. There's a way I'm a follower. There's, there's a way that I am a provider and there's the way that my life is provision. I'm intended to give my life over. And all of these different categories, we understand. And, and so my question would be, to the degree that you exercise the role of ruler or boss, how does it look like the pattern of Christ? Is it like him? To the, the degree that you live in meekness, Does your meekness reflect the meekness of Christ? You know, a bad and a lonely day are not an authorization to leave the way of Jesus. How how would Jesus be on the path you're walking on? Whether you're a child, Jesus has a way of life to show about being a son. And Jesus has, the Lord has a way of showing about being a father. How do we live in these capacities? How do we we own them? Because there's a way of Christ that describes wherever you are. I'm gonna pray for us in a moment. I'm gonna pray for us in the bounds, in the bounds of the fact that Jesus is king and Jesus is subject. And Jesus is shepherd and Jesus is a follower. He is the sheep, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. That Jesus gives us what we need and gives himself, which is what we need. Jesus leads us and washes feet. In all of those ways, we sit in the middle. Who do you say that Jesus is? Please pray with me. Lord, uh, we come to you in this prayer through space and time and ask you to bless, in particular, Lord, I pray, the least in the room who feel that in some way they have fallen outside of your care or your knowledge, or your love or your experience. Lord, I lift up the lonely and the poor and the meek, those whose bodies are suffering. Lord, I pray that they would find your empathy and your lordship. Lord, I lift up all of those in the room who in some way occupy those high roles, whether that work or in their home or in a circle of friends, that they are a leader or a master or a ruler or a boss, Lord, and may may they know that they have not exited the realm of your kingdom. That there, there is no high office in the land that has hope apart from you. And finally, Lord, I pray that. All of us, when confronted with the question of who is Jesus, would recognize you as our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.